Welcome everybody to Martini's Moscata Quick Shot today, inspired uh, by Aurora Cannabis and their Q3 earnings report, report that came out last uh, Thursday, May 14. You're going to love today. We're going to talk tricky math. I know some of my audience, Olga in particular, loves tricky math. Um, and uh, if we look through the Aurora Cannabis report, it provides, provides a little inspiration to talk about some things that are important, not only for people that are evaluating Aurora, people evaluating other public companies in their annual or uh, interim reports, but also if you run your own business, these are things that you need to understand. And so we're not going to cover the whole earnings report, but we are going to talk about some of it today. And, um, and as I said, this is not just relevant to Aurora, but also relevant to business owners and entrepreneurs and those evaluating businesses. And before I start, I just want to say congratulations to all you retail investors that are sitting with your Aurora stock, it's gone up 300%. Uh, I haven't checked it in the last couple hours, but it was up over 22 bucks Canadian from I think $8, somewhere around there, don't hold me to it. And so I'm often accused when I point out problems within the industry, uh, the retail investors come at me that watch the show and they say, hey, you're being negative and you don't want businesses to succeed and so on and so forth. Couldn't be further from the truth. I believe in abundance. I believe everybody should be successful. God bless you if you're making money on this. My hope here is to add some value to the conversation, to business owners, and in this case, to the investors, different ways to think about things that maybe are caution flags, okay? So with that said, uh, this is not trading advice. We're not an investment firm. We're not trying to sell you anything. I don't even care if I have the facts exactly right, so be happy to fact check me because this is not about buying or selling Aurora. Uh, this is about some concepts, um, and I, I'm not an analyst. We didn't dive into this thing at my shop and do a deep dive. Uh, uh, we didn't do a deep dive or analysis of Aurora, although I did spend some time reading through some reports, so I know enough to do the show. That's my that's my theory. Uh, highlights uh, of the Q3. Let's just go over that quickly. In general, I think that the the analysts, the uh, shops, view it as a good news uh, earnings report. Uh, but mixed. So some good, some not so good. The good side was the net revenue. Exceeded expectations. They were uh, 75.5 million for Q3, which was a 35% increase over the second quarter. Uh, highlight was the adult use recreational, which was up 24% uh, for two reasons. One is they had a full quarter of their 2.0, which is just the uh, how they call the edibles. So the edibles are coming online. And in February, they launched a brand called Daily Special, which is basically the, the value, the cheaper stuff. Um, and, and that's where they see the market going. And it's certainly what the market thinks about Aurora. So uh, they're having some success selling the, the lower priced uh, product. So revenue was good. Gross margin was a, was a miss. It was 42% and the target was 50%, but the margin on cannabis was 54%. So there was some mixed news in there. Their EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. This is a measure of profitability. It's a measure of, think of it as cash coming out of your operations as opposed to total cash, which would also include your cash from operations, but you know, your working capital uses and your debt service, you like paying your loans and your interests, etc. Anyways, their EBITDA was a negative $50.8 million, um, which was worse than target. The target was negative 40 to negative 45 million. Imagine planning to lose $45 million in three months. I don't know, but that was their target. Um, 
uh, trailing 12 months, they're, they're negative $200 million or over $200 million loss at the EBITDA level. And as I said, they were targeting, um, they were targeting a better number than the loss of 50.8 million, but not much better. And they still think they're on track to turn around and be positive by 2021. So with a, so there's a June year end. So that's starting say July of this year, their SGNA, um, sales costs, general and administration costs. Um, this was the heart of their previously announced turnaround plan. Uh, so for Q3, that was $75 million, excluding terminations. Uh, their run rate is about $60 million. So the difference between an actual and the run rate is, okay, for, so for the quarter, we were 75, but it was a lot at the beginning uh, of the, the three-month period, and it was less, still a lot, but less than it was at the end of the three-month period. You know, so if you were to extrapolate out, say, the last month of those three months into a 12-month period, you, you end up with what they call a run rate. So, in other words, the costs are going down, and they said they're on track by Q4, which is right now, to be at the 40 to $45 million uh, SG&A, so your overhead fixed cost level. Cash burn was negative uh, $150 million, uh, whereas they only lost in cash $261 million in December and $204 in, in September prior. So their cash burn's getting better. I say only as a bit of a joke. These guys burn through cash. Um, and, it, you know, they caution if there's no improvement in their cash burn, then they're going to have to raise some equity, which means they're going to be dilution. And the dilution could be as much as 50% of the stock. Something to think about. I'm not going to talk about cash burn today, but if you're an investor in Aurora, be weary of that. What we are going to talk about. So in summary, you've got, you know, revenue was great. Um, everything else was sort of a miss, but not a huge miss. A mixed report. Okay. So I'm sitting around Friday in front of my computer at my new desk here uh, uh, in Fernie, British Columbia. And I'm looking at my screen and the stock almost doubled. And today it's up uh, again. So it's been up, say, 300% in two days, three days. I traded in the U.S. yesterday. Um, and a, but there's a bunch of analyst reports coming across my screen that say uh, that say the price targets have been raised. So, for example, uh, Cantor Fitzgerald, which actually was a report done the day before the earnings were released, and they they said the headline was that they raised their price target from two dollars and seventy five cents to twenty two dollars. Uh, all Canadian numbers from two seventy five to twenty two. Uh, Desjardins, I think I looked at, and they raised theirs uh, substantially as well. And I'm thinking, wow, what's going on? I thought to myself, can, can the target valuation from the analyst actually go up 700% based on one release? Does that make any sense? I'd be in if that were true. And, and why is the stock market, why are the retail investors who are driving this stock pumping it up so much? It's all exciting. It's positive momentum. Maybe I ought to take a little bit of a, a look at this, which is what I did over the weekend. And it's why we're doing this show. So first thing we're going to talk about is uh, we're going to look into the analyst reports and we're going to look at some mildly tricky math on uh, reverse splits because I find that people misunderstand these reverse splits and and don't really understand what they are and how it impacts things in particular in this case the headlines and so reverse split is not some sort of weird gymnastics move it's a uh, another name for it would be a share consolidation let's say you own a thousand shares of a company and the company does a reverse split on a 10 for one basis it means for every share you used to have now, every 10 shares you used to have, you trade those in and you get one new share back. And so you used to have 1,000 shares, now you have 100 shares because there was a 10 for 1 reverse split. And that's what uh, Aurora Cannabis did. In fact, they did a 12 for 1 reverse split. So I look at the, the analyst report at uh, Kentra Fitzgerald that goes from 
275 to 22, uh, and the 275 was from before their 12 for one reverse split, and and the the $22 is from uh, price target is from after the price split. So it's not apples to reverse split. So it's not apples to apples. Uh, so in fact, if you were to take the 275, uh, multiply that times 12, because that's what you need to get apples to apples, their prior report was actually $33 uh, uh, on the same basis. So they their target went from 33 to 22, which by my math is not an increase in the price uh, target, but rather a decrease in the price target. They reduced their target uh, based on their expectations of what was going to come out in their case for the next day on the earnings release. So it, I read through the report and, and it didn't really say that. I didn't understand that to be the case that I was so, I wasn't confused. I was just so skeptical that they would screw this up. But I actually went back and got a earlier report from the exact same analyst. And sure enough, it was on a different share basis. So when they say their target went up from 275 to 33 uh, to 22, not true. In fact, what happened is their target went down from 33 to 22. Uh, Desjardins took a look at, look at, I'm not picking on these shops. I just had easy access to their, their research. I'm using them as an example. Um, and, and all these guys are excellent and they do hard work. And so I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but just to give you an example, they said they increased their price target from 325 to 19. Same story. The same story is that the 325 was actually pre the reverse split. And if you were to put that into into uh, apples to apples into the exact same number of share count. In fact, their price target was 39 and was being reduced to $19 from $39. So, and, and if you get into the depth, into the nitty gritty of that Desjardins report, it actually says that, they, they disclose that very well. So I have no complaint about that. These analysts know what they're doing. I just don't think they explain themselves very well, particularly in the CF case. Uh, but more importantly, the headlines just pick up that, hey, price target increase from $2.75 to $22, not true. Uh, the price targets were reduced. So the smart people are saying that there was a decrease on the Aurora stock. And doesn't that make this whole story just feel a little bit different uh, to you right now? And that's something you should think about, sort of problem number one. Let's dig into this a bit deeper. Um, and I'm gonna talk about, in the interest of time, I'm doing a quick shot here. I'm already way over my budget for time. So I'm gonna try and go quick. We're gonna talk about revenue, gross margins, and valuations and we're gonna talk about, as I promised you, some tricky math along the way. So revenue, cannabis stocks, why did the stock go up so much? Well, give me a chance to think about that while I drink some coffee. The cannabis stocks go up because uh, because all cannabis shares right now, stocks right now trade on revenue. Uh, so if the revenue goes up 35%, which it did, then the stock is gonna go up as well. Uh, historically, in the recent past, Aurora's been trading at 5.2 times revenue compared to Afria, for example, which is trading at 4.9 times revenue, Tilray at a crazy 6.6 .6 times revenue. And so if you, you would expect apples to apples, revenue goes up 35%, then the stock's gonna go up 35%. Yet the stock went up about 300%, which means what? It means the market's excited about it. It means that they're putting a higher multiple. So not just the revenue, but the actual multiplier is going up and why does the multiplier go up? Well, two reasons, it can only be two reasons. One is the market sees less risk in the company now, that's a good reason. And they say future growth to be higher than they used to see it. Those two things would drive the multiple up and that's exactly what's happening here. So that's what's going on, that's why the stock's going up. It's based on revenue going up. And is that a good thing? 
if I'm an investor in this stock, do I like that? Is this uh, unicorn and rainbow story holding true? I think the true answer is, I need you to think about this, is we don't know. The truth is that the revenue is up in the retail, uh, in the recreational adult use side, which flows through retail, uh, and it's fueled by pantry loading, which means that they put a bunch of product and they push it down their pipe to the retailers who are sitting on inventory, and they did that in the period of uh, January to March, and COVID had not really hit yet. They did it the latter part of that. And so what's Q Q2 gonna look like? Or sorry, Q4 gonna look like for them? Uh, Q2 in the calendar year? Well, you know, you need to be skeptical because these stores were not open for a while. Um, and a lot of them are complaining about uh, their turnover being low. So we'll see how that goes. I don't, I don't know that this is indicative of future growth for Aurora. Let's jump in, so that's revenue. Let's jump into gross margin. So I talk to you all the time on Martinez Piscata about contribution margin versus gross margin. Gross margin being a fully loaded, direct and indirect cost uh, way to calculate uh, your cost of sales. So let's go to an example of the difference. Let's say you're producing uh, whatever. I'm gonna show you a pen. If you're on the podcast, you missed that. You're producing a pen and you're gonna sell 100 units um, at a dollar each, that's your revenue for the period. That's a hundred dollars in revenue. Your variable cost, which would be you know the packaging and the direct labor, uh, sales, commissions, everything that's you know cost. Every time you sell a unit, you have more of this stuff. It's variable. Let's say that's twenty percent. I'm just making up numbers here. Um, so if you sell a hundred units, a uh, hundred dollars worth of revenue, you've got twenty dollars variable costs. So what's your contribution margin? It's uh, your revenue minus your variable cost. So in this case, 100 minus 20 is $80. It's 80% contribution margin. So every every dollar or every $100, if you sell $100 worth of stuff, $80 of that is available to help pay your fixed costs and for profit. That's what a contribution margin is. It's 80% in my example. If you sold 200 units, it would still be 80%, right? It would be $200 of revenue at 80%. Uh, would be your contribution coming off of that, so $160. All right, now let's move into gross margin and where we're taking into account our fixed costs and all of our direct and indirect costs, whether they're variable or fixed. So let's say your fixed costs are $50 in our example. Okay, so let's calculate what our cost of sales is for gross margin purposes. You produced 100 units, right? We said that during the year, you produced and sold 100 units, and therefore, you have your $50 of fixed cost, uh, is spread over 100 units, so that's 50 cents per unit, right? That makes sense, you get fixed costs of $50, you produce 100 units, so your fixed cost per unit is 50 cents. So your cost of sales for gross margin purposes is your $20 of variable cost, which hasn't changed, and 100 units times 50 cents is $50, so 20 plus 50 is $70 of cost, and your gross margin, therefore, is 100 minus 70 in costs is $30 or 30%. So here your contribution margin we figured out was 80% and your gross margin is 30%. Why such a vast difference? Well, because you have a lot of fixed costs compared to variable costs in this hypothetical example that we just made up. Now you're saying to yourself, okay, that's not tricky. I understand that, where's the trick? The trick is this, what if you made 200 units, your variable cost, your variable contribution margin is gonna be the same, but on a, on a, when you go to calculate gross margin, what happens? Well. Your fixed costs are still 50 bucks, but you produce 200 units instead of 100. So your cost is no longer 50 cents per unit, it's now 25 cents per unit. You only sold 100 units out of the 200 that you made, so 100, the other 100 went into inventory, 
but you produce 200, so now your costs are 25 cents per unit instead of 50. Let's go through the math again. So your variable costs are 20. Your fixed costs of what you sold are, you sold 100 units times 25 cents is $45. 20 plus $45 is, uh, uh, sorry, 20 plus 20, 100 times 25 cents is $25. And the, the variable costs of 20 plus the 25 cents uh, is, is plus $25 for fixed costs adds up to $45. 100 minus 45 gives you a gross margin of 55 or 55%. So wait a minute, if we produced 100 units, our gross margin was 30%. If we produce 200 units, our gross margin is 55%. So that's the point that you need to understand is that your gross margin, if you use that as a metric, if a company like Aurora says, hey, our gross margin is this, our gross margin is that, it depends a lot on what they produce, the way the accounting works. Where did the extra 25 bucks go in our example? Well, it went into inventory because they only they produced 200 units, but they only sold 100 units. So basically we took half of the fixed cost of the business and we put it on the balance sheet and we called it inventory, okay? So contribution margin is the way to manage a business. It's the way to evaluate a business. Gross margin is not, unless you're super stable. So anytime you got high growth, like an entrepreneur, you've got a turnaround like Aurora, uh, or the whole industry of cannabis is, is high growth or troubled, one or the other. Uh, you need to focus on contribution margins because gross margins are nonsense. Is this an issue at Aurora? Well, yeah, it's a big issue at Aurora because in Q1 and Q2 of their fiscal year 2020, they produced three times what they sold. So they sold this, but they produced three times that much, exactly like the example that I just gave you, except that was they produced twice of what they sold at Aurora, three times. In Q3, their inventory went up $45 million uh, from what it was in Q2, which means they produced roughly two times what they sold in Q3. Uh, at the end of Q3, they had $251 million of inventory on their balance sheet, uh, which is enough to sell, say, $500, $600 million worth of product, which is basically their entire projection for 2021. That's problem number two uh, in reviewing these numbers from Aurora, because what happens when this reverses. You're a bit of a Charles Ponzi uh, framing right now, because if you produce less in 2021, uh, because you have so much inventory, then your margins are gonna drop off a cliff uh, because this whole issue of our margins going down because we produce more, example that I gave you, well, that reverses itself. You produce less, your margins, your cost uh, per unit is gonna go up a ton. Big issue, and if you don't produce more, uh, because you want to maintain your margins, then you're going to run out of cash because all you're doing is pumping product into inventory. And so you've got a serious issue here and it's a treadmill that's hard for these companies to get off because they're tied to this metric of gross margin rather than contribution margin. If you're an Aurora investor, beware of that inventory, beware of this margin analysis because I think it's a trap for you. Okay, uh, wow, we're really running late here. Valuations and multiples. Uh, listen, the cannabis sector has big multiples. And uh, for example, uh, so the, the Cantor Fitzgerald uh, report on Aurora says that they're trading at 15 times EBITDA discounted, uh, forward-looking EBITDA discounted uh, for 12 months from now. And that's how they came up with their $22 a share. Desjardins is looking at 18 times the 2023 projected EBITDA and then discounting that. So these are big numbers. By comparison, if you're selling your private business, 
without a significant strategic purchase or premium, a topic for another day, you're going to get a multiple of four or eight. And even if you have a premium, you're going to get the 10, 12 tops. These things are, off, are you know, are trading at 15 times and down in the future. The multiples I'm talking about are maintainable multiples uh, uh, from the past. Okay. And so there's a huge disconnect. And so what does that tell us? What does that mean? And I think it's something you need to understand and think about. I'm going to give you a formula. This is more tricky math here. So the value, value is equal to the cash flow divided by your cost of capital minus your growth rate. Okay. Value is equal to your cash flow minus your cost of cap. Sorry, divided by your cost of capital minus your growth rate. Let's do a quick example. So let's say your maintainable cash flow forever, this business is gonna spit off a million dollars of free cash, okay? So there's your, your numerator. Your denominator is your cost of capital, which is a discount rate, so let's call it 20% for this example. And I think that million dollars is gonna grow at 5% a year. So my denominator is 20% minus 5%, all right? Now, I don't know what the discount rate is the analysts are using, I'm guessing. Uh, but 20% feels right to me. It doesn't matter. What I'm trying to hammer home for you is the importance of growth in these numbers. So 1 million is your numerator. That's your free cash divided by 20% minus 5% is 15% uh, equals $6.67 million. You can do the math on your own. And so obviously that's a 6.67 multiple on your free cash, on your EBITDA or whatever metric you're using. Uh, so you turned a million dollars, you went through this formula, you end up with $6.67 million. Clearly that's a 6.67 times multiple. Uh, the Aurora right now is trading at 15, 18 future cash. Okay, so higher than even that. Three variables, cash, cost capital, growth rate. Now, what I wanna focus on is growth rate because it has a huge impact. If I took that same formula and said 0% growth, my multiple would not be 6.67, it would be five times. If I did it at 5% growth, which is exactly what we did, it comes up to 6.67 times out of multiple. If I did 10% growth, it's a 10 times multiple. If I did 15% growth, it's a 20 times multiple. If I did 20% growth, the formula breaks because it becomes infinite, okay? So growth has a massive impact on multiple, your growth assumption. And every time you see crazy multiples, like 15 times or 18 times, it's only for one or two reasons. Growth uh, is really high and probably impractical. And strategic purchase or premiums, which is a topic for another day, but it only involved when someone's trying to buy you. It's an M&A deal, okay? So in this case, the only thing that drives that uh, so, so crazy is the growth assumption. All right, and that's what happened in the tech bubble in the late 90s that blew up um, is everybody's growth assumption was really high. We're just gonna be growing at 18, 20% forever into infinity. We're just gonna grow that much forever. Okay, and it creates these huge multiples. It's mathematically true. So if my 20%, if my 20% cost of capital assumption is correct, and I were to look at the Desjardins 18 times EBITDA multiple in the future, that would mean 14.4% growth forever into infinity. Do you think that Aurora, starting in 2023, will grow their cash flow at 14.4% forever? Forever. Do you really think that's gonna happen? Or do you think this industry is gonna mature, that there's going to be uh, competition, that the market's gonna change, 
a roar might stumble. I mean, what are the odds of this thing growing at 14.4% forever? The multiple is highly sensitive to that growth assumption. What happens if they don't hit that growth target, if the confidence of future growth uh, is shaken? Well, I showed you how sensitive the multiple is to growth going up, right? If I increase my, my growth percentage assumption by say 5%, 0, 5, 10, 15, well, if I start going backwards, that multiple drops off hugely. Uh, it's hypersensitive. You need to be worried about that. An Aurora, you need to understand that for your own business because if you're an entrepreneur and you've started a business and, and your growth is gonna go, you know, 100% one year, 0% the next year, 100% the year after, minus 20 the year after, you're not building value because no one can have any confidence in those numbers and understand your growth. Much better to be 10% forever or 8% forever or something manageable, something to think about. All right, that's it. That was a quick shot that was twice as long as it should have been. I hope you found it interesting. Uh, this is Martinis with Scott. Please subscribe. We are on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Hope you have a great day.